You're listening to the Talking Forest Podcast with your host, Kendra Burns. In today's world, it's important to communicate your story online, and Kendra can help you by diving into social media and providing you with free tips and insights on how to build your organic social media following and shine online. Having been raised low income, first in her family to go to college, and a proud international military spouse, Kendra develops creative media content across many social media platforms from anywhere in the world. Her inspiration comes from the people who give her hope and believe in her so she can believe in you. Follow the Talking Forest podcast today to see how she lives the dream of a traveling virtual entrepreneur and get your tech tips as we keep up with the latest on social media. This is episode number 14 of the Talking Forest podcast. And I wanted to bring a guest on today that has been pioneering an effort in Society of American Foresters, and she is up and coming. She's in her master's degree program at the Oregon State University. Jasmine Brown is currently the graduate student at Oregon State University in the Forest Ecosystems and Society program. Jasmine is also a U.S. Forest Service Pathway intern in the Civic Culture in Washington at the Umatilla and yes, I know how to say Umatilla, at the National Forest. She is also a Society of American Foresters Diversity Scholarship recipient and Diversity Ambassador. As a Connecticut native, she received her bachelor's degree in natural resources from the University of Connecticut. Jasmine also spent one year at Alabama AM University through student the Student Exchange Program. Alabama A&M is the first and only historically black college at the university, HBCU, with an SAF accredited forestry bachelor's degree. So her previous jobs have been prior to returning to graduate school. Jasmine was a U.S. Forest Service traveling forest technician for three years. This position involved traveling to a different national forest each month. Jasmine also has prior experience as a graduate teaching assistant for a forest biology course. Some of her hobbies are CrossFit, forest walks, and journaling. So I ask everyone, and what is their goal in the world of social media? And she specifically said, hashtag change the narrative, which I think is pretty brave. In forestry and natural resources. For so long, I've been told that people like me typically do not go into forestry. Each of my posts defies stereotypes about forestry and natural resource professionals. My posts also provide educational glimpses of my forestry career. I have always considered my family as I share details about my job, internships, conferences, and events. My decision to follow a career path in forestry introduced my family to career choice that they were previously unaware of. Therefore, I always view each of my posts as a way to expose my audience to a career choice that has has been extremely fulfilling for me. So I welcome Jasmine Brown. Thank you so much for that introduction. I'm really appreciative to be participating in this interview today. I've been excited to get to know you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a powerful platform. It's basically a mobile resume. It's a virtual resume. You can bring it with you anywhere you go. And it's been really exciting to communicate and see 
Jasmine's progress and she's been flying so high and doing so amazing in the forestry world that I'm even excited just to have her on today. Thank you so much. I actually created my LinkedIn profile during January of this year. I remember going to different workshops that talked about the effectiveness and the uses of LinkedIn, and I still didn't really understand why I needed one. I was motivated to create one once I realized, you know what, I can't keep ignoring all this great advice. I do want to market myself, and I do also want to communicate with other professionals in my field. And once I got exposed to LinkedIn, I immediately realized how many benefits it could have for my career and my future success. And definitely, I'm really happy that you're on there. Uh, I have also used LinkedIn for jobs, contracts, mm -hmm. um, meeting people, and recently I've been able to document Tallwood buildings in France based off of the LinkedIn profile that I've created. And so it really is the new resume. And I think that the fact that you're using it in such a early stage of your um, career and what you're going to be going into in forestry is really awesome because you're going to be connected to everyone that can bring together the change that you're looking for. Correct. That's actually exactly right. So I wanted to ask you the first interview question. Uh, what was your first job and do you have any good memories of it? My first job was working at a family-owned Italian restaurant in my hometown of Bridgeport, Connecticut. I remember getting the job and not exactly knowing what I would be doing. I was hired as a customer service representative and I just assumed that meant waitressing. In reality, I started by answering the telephone lines and I was responsible for making salads for the delivery orders. I remember how difficult it was to write down credit card numbers, to deal with disgruntled customers, and then after doing so, after I was able to prove that I was able to handle customer service effectively, I was then promoted to being a bus girl, and that basically meant I got to clean up the tables. I wasn't a waiter yet, I just got to pick up all the dishes and make sure everything was in order after the patrons left. And then I was promoted to being a waitress, and that was an entirely new experience when it came to customer service. But overall, I would say my experience with my first job taught me what it meant to be promoted and to move up in your career, to gain different skills, to start from the bottom, and to see what it was like to work your way up step by step. And I agree entirely with that because I took a similar approach. I was a dishwasher, um, mm -hmm. a bus girl, a hostess, and then I was able to be the waitress. And I completely understand how that gives you a firm foundation. I wanted to ask you, um, how did it feel to make your first paycheck off that job? It felt amazing. I remember my mom had me take a picture of it because she said, you'll always remember this and you'll never receive a first paycheck again. She was like, this is the beginning of you seeing yourself as a working professional. Yeah. It was amazing. I can uh, definitely relate to that. I remember making, I think, $157 on my first paycheck. <laughs> you got the exact amount. Yeah. Um, so what is your role in forestry right now? I'd say I have several roles, and it's interesting just kind of seeing how being a graduate student and a forest practitioner, how those roles mesh. As a graduate student, I serve in a leadership role on several different committees and also student organizations. As a forest practitioner, I'm at the tail end of my pathways internship on the Umatilla National Forest. 
So it's always really excited to exist in different spheres and spaces and just realize how they communicate in different ways. I remember during my pathways internship, I was doing so much and I was being exposed to so many different fields and different areas of natural resources management that I just had to take care of the rest of me. I just wanted to make sure I shared all the things I was being exposed to. And my coworkers could not understand why I kept taking pictures. They were like, we do this every day. And I said, I've never actually done trail maintenance. I don't know what it's like to carve a trail out of a landslide. I have no idea what that's like. And I found it to be so exciting in that me bringing that new perspective to my summer internship made me record things in other ways when I realized my coworkers don't record what they do on a daily basis. They just kind of do it. And I was like, your job is so exciting. There's so much that can be learned from just simply sharing what you do on a day-to-day basis because the people you're interacting with don't do your job. Your job is unique and that you're the one doing it. So I tried to bring that that experience and that understanding of social media to my pathways and internship. And I also try to do the same with being a graduate student. If I'm going to an event, if I'm speaking on a panel, I'll usually try and share and post that on LinkedIn because I realize a lot of my family and friends have no idea what I do as a graduate student. They're assuming I'm in class all day. And I'm like, no, it's class, it's research, it's participating in other professional events. So I really say just using social media to track all the different facets of your day-to-day life is what's most beneficial. I agree so much. And this is something that I will always go to different topics and talk all across the board to anyone who hasn't heard about social media or how to use it. And I'll say, are you documenting what you're doing? And they're like, what, what is documenting? (laughs) Well, it's just what Jasmine said. It's literally pictures, videos, and post it on a social media platform. And LinkedIn is the most organic platform at this time where you can still see professionally what people are doing. And it's separated from the personal aspect of say Facebook. And so I love that you've been doing that. I've already caught on. I've already been watching what you've been doing. And no, it's not creepy. It's real. It's virtual. And so she's out literally doing things in the forest that have been done for centuries. But now she's documenting her personal perspective in the woods as she's doing it. And so that's more of that is needed. I completely agree. Just thinking about how fulfilling natural resources careers are and can be to several of us, but realizing that the outside world is not familiar with what we do. We realize it takes place outside, but it's sometimes bringing the outside back to your computer, bringing it back to an online virtual platform and thinking about what that can do when someone else sees you maybe just hanging a trap, hanging an incense trap. Maybe someone never knew that that was done by foresters. Maybe they never knew what forest pests and how those can impact forest health. But there's so many different things and conversations that can be started just from a simple spark that would involve you posting a picture of what you did at work today. Yeah, definitely. And so it makes me super happy that you've already spread the word and and you've been doing it. I think going out and dancing in the rain needs to be done more often. And it just sounds like you're like, wait a minute, this is really cool. So I don't care what you think, I'm going to video what we're doing today and I'm going to put it on social media because other people need to see this. And so you've you've been paving that way and I think that's really awesome. It's really exciting too, just posting something and sharing your experience and realizing 
that that itself is a conversation starter. And I would get comments, I would get questions, I would get more people saying, oh my gosh, can you tell me more? Do you have other pictures? Do you have videos? It was like starting that initial engagement just would foster even more. Yeah, definitely. And so that's a whole nother level that I would teach is not only should you be posting things on your platforms and documenting what you're doing in the woods, but also you need to have a little bit of either influence or instead of, I call it posting and ghosting, you kind of have to babysit your content and actually interact with people. And so I constantly teach people how to create uh, questions or continue to interact when people start interacting because you need to be that voice to say, well, this is why we set the traps today and this is how many insects we collected so we can take them back to the lab, put them under the microscope and figure out what they are and what they've been doing to our trees. Correct. So we may expose one to a new facet of natural resources that they were not familiar with beforehand. Yeah. So that's really awesome. So we've been speaking about forestry for a little bit. Um, Society of American Foresters is over a hundred year old organization that fosters um, the communication, the growth and the certification of accredit accredited institutions for foresters. And so I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about something that came up recently. I noticed that you received the National Society of American Foresters Diversity Scholarship Award. And I wanted to ask you, how did that happen? And what does it feel like to, to be able to have that? I'd say it's an honor that I humbly had to accept. I was a part of a cohort of 10 other diversity scholarship recipients, and I was very happy to be a part of that, the 2018 cohort. I ended up submitting an application that answered two questions. The first one was, why is diversity important in forestry and natural resources? And the second one is, why do you feel like you'd be a good diversity ambassador for us data? And in answering both of those, I more so brought a lot of my past experiences in forestry and also a lot of the work that I'm doing as a graduate student to the table. That was my time to shine. That was my time to share a lot of the different things I've been involved in, such as being on the leadership team for our Manners chapter here at Oregon State University. And Manners stands for Minorities in Agriculture, Natural Resources, and Related Sciences. Its sole purpose is to change the face of agriculture, natural resources, and related sciences. It promotes academic and professional development. And when we're thinking about changing the face and changing the narrative of different disciplines, manners is a lot of ways how I'm able to do that. I'm able to feel welcomed. I'm able to receive mentorship and other things that I know I would not have been able to receive in other spaces. So when I was applying for the SAS Diversity Scholarship Award, I thought about all the other things I've been involved in that are related to diversity. And Mayors was the first thing that came to mind. The second thing that came to mind was me serving as the graduate student chair on the College of Forestry's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. That work is helping us enact our strategic diversity initiatives plan. And it's interesting to just take place in that space as a grad student and bringing my, my perspective into a space that's dominated by a lot of faculty and staff. But I was able to reflect on all the work that I've done, a lot of the social justice trainings that I've gone to here at OSU. We have a social justice education initiative. I've taken trainings on microaggressions, on bias incidences. I want to say I've learned so much by just becoming involved and remaining involved, not only in social justice, but also in conversations surrounding diversity. I basically use a lot of my skills in order to become a part of this awesome program through SAS. 
And definitely, I think that the first thing that most students should do when they get on a college campus is to seek out support services and seek out programs that will only enable them to reach more people and get mentored. And definitely, I was definitely in the search of scholarships, grants, and I took on a low-income first-generation program called TRIO, and it really helped me. And so you know what TRIO is? I was also a part of TRIO during my Upward Bound program. Yes. So I became a TRIO member in 2008, and I was all the way until 2013. So I had two different advisors at the two different colleges for my um, up until my bachelor's degree. So what that did was it gave you a point person to be able to have an open door policy. They would definitely, you know, with open arms, talk to you about literally anything that was going on in college. And what that helped me with was since I'm first generation, my family didn't necessarily know what I was up against or what I was going through on the college campus. So I didn't go home and say, hey, mom, uh, you know, this research program and started, you know, I couldn't ask her anything about any any college related thing because it just wasn't knowledge in our house. It, it just wasn't something I could do. And so that's where these programs come in to really facilitate conversations that we can have as a group or with other people. And so I think that, you know, the programs that you're going through and the change that you're already helping and creating in diversity is really, really honorable, especially at your age. Thank you so much. I appreciate hearing that and I can relate to your experience being a first generation graduate student. I had no idea what it meant to even go to grad school, let alone what was included in it. So a lot of times that's also why I try and make sure I'm sharing with my family about what I'm doing. And when I think about my involvement in the SAF Diversity Scholarship Program, I had to cite how big a role my research is playing in me receiving that scholarship. I'm currently in the Forest Ecosystems and Society Department, as we previously mentioned. And by being in such a, a department that's interdisciplinary, I'm able to focus on the conversations surrounding diversity and inclusion within our profession. I'm able to look at how has this conversation taken place, what trends exist, what groups or what types of diversity have we traditionally talked about in scholarly articles. So I'm really excited to be able to do this research. And I was even more excited to be able to state that and mention it during my application. I don't think I've heard a forest program even being mentioned in the same sentence as interdisciplinary until you just said that. Makes me really, really happy knowing that that exists in college today. Because when I went to college 10 years ago or my graduate undergrad would have been 2013, even back then I was going to an interdisciplinary school where we didn't have a grading system. We were writing essays. My transcript is 30 pages. We wrote essays on how we thought our teacher did, and then our teacher wrote an essay about us. And so that's a little bit different, but I wanted to mention it because you said the word interdisciplinary. So what that means in the college world for our listeners is when you can bring in several aspects of a program and bring in more than one teacher even sometimes, and they're able to bring in, so let's say you have someone that's specifically for geology, you have someone that has a, more of a landscape ecology 
degree and you can bring the two professors in and they can talk about it in a three month time span time span and you're able to really get the full picture of two different sides or you can have lichenology and mycology and then you can bring in another subject and this interdisciplinary approach I think is going to be much much better for everyone and in the forest world I think it's really awesome that that exists and I think you're at Oregon State so that's pretty exciting that it's happening um, up and down the Pacific Northwest. Awesome. Yes, thank you. I really appreciate being able to take courses from so many different areas of study and inter and basically include them in my one project. I'm able to take classes in sociology, in ethnic studies. I have a philosophy major professor, so thinking about all the different influences that come from taking different classes. And knowing that I, I myself would be considered a forester, so they're saying, okay, well, you only take forestry classes. That's not exactly true. And just showing how my experience here as a graduate student has been enlightened by me taking so many different classes, by learning about educational theory and different ways of thinking from other disciplines and bringing that back to forestry, I'd say, is the most exciting part of my work because not a lot of people think about forestry as something that can be addressed and influenced by other disciplines, by other ways of thinking and doing things. We need to learn what's going on, not only with the trees, but when I stepped into lichenology and mycology, I learned what's going on in a microclimate within the trees. And then the ecology program brought me out to this landscape level of, well, what happens when Mount St. Helens erupts? And then we went out with a geologist that was there before Mount St. Helen erupted, during the eruption, and now he's studying it 30 years later. And so I have this right in the rain journal with notes of what the geologist said, and it was because of that program. And so you're right. And then you can bring in um, different, like a public speaking aspect or um, technical writing, and you can bring these into the interdisciplinary approach and really get this huge education. And that's what happened to me. And people respect me because I don't come from one I mm -hmm. discipline. I come from the woods, what happens in the woods, all the way out to the landscape level of what happens when a mountain erupts. Having all of that and the also the environmental approach has really given me the ability to work with more people. And so I'm telling you, that the fact that you're already doing that in your graduate studies, you're going to have more people that you can relate with and be able to really help in the future. Yeah. I always like to think about management from the perspective of you're, if you're considering natural resources management and you're not considering the social aspects, you're missing a large part of the picture. And a lot of times when I've had this conversation with some of my coworkers, they'll ask me, well, well, why is it important to look at the human dimensions of a decision? Or why should we even consider social sciences? And I said, who's managing our natural resources? Not robots, no. people. People are interacting with our natural resources. People are managing them. People rely on them. Therefore, it's already a social issue. Social sciences already has to be involved in our management decisions. You can't just separate the forest from the people. I was like, the forests are about the people. They're there, people are using them, people are relying on them, they mean a lot to certain people also. So thinking about when we're making natural research decisions that do not rely on social sciences or that do not consider 
social aspects, it always makes me want to question how did how did that decision, how did that make, who was involved, who wasn't involved, who was at the table, who had a voice? And those are a lot of the questions I'd say I'm able to think about just from taking other social sciences courses. And so that's going to give you the edge in your career. Oh, thank you. I, I highly believe in that. And so the, the next question for you should be a good social people type question, because I, I've, I've been very interested in introverted and extroverted people. So I'm wondering, do you consider yourself introverted or extroverted? That's a great question, because I think about that a lot. I would consider myself an ambivert, and that's basically the middle point on the spectrum of being introverted and extroverted. A lot of times when you think of a spectrum, you're always ending up at one end or the other. And ambivert allows you to be fluid and to flow and flex between both ends of that spectrum. A lot of times when I think of myself at an event, I realize that I'll come in and I'll be very outgoing. I'll be excited to be at the event. And everyone will assume, oh, wow, she's so extroverted. She's a people person. And then maybe an hour or two hours into the event, I need to go sit on a couch somewhere by myself, yeah. probably with the lights off, just to kind of recoup, refresh, and build myself back up. So in some ways, I can see how my extroverted and introverted tendencies come out at different times of the day, and then also at different events. If I'm speaking or leading a panel, for example, which was something I just did last weekend, I enjoy that experience so much. The most exhausting part was having to answer questions right after, because I realized it was like my switch for introvertedness just wanted to come back on. I wanted to like walk out the room and be done. And it was more so like everyone was so excited about how the panel went. I still had to put on this outgoing, excited face. And I was like, wow, I really just want to be an introvert. And I just want to curl up and not do anything. So it was me seeing that sometimes, you know, you flex between both. And you, it's literally a fluid process. I think that your definition kind of helps me understand that at times, I believe I was introverted through forestry school. And then becoming a social media consultant, I've had to step outside that comfort zone and really show that at conferences, I'm ready to talk to people in the room and be a panelist and be a chair and be able to talk like you're talking about. And then when they start asking questions, you're not done yet. You, you really have to, I guess, either fuel yourself with, with some energy that you have left you might as well have some coffee if, if, if you need some energy. <laughs> That's, I, I've been drinking coffee uh, since 2015 so that I can still have a little bit of that, that pep in my step when we're at a conference. And not that at all to say that at conferences I don't want to be social. It's more so just acknowledging the differences in energy for different people. Everyone goes to conferences for different reasons. And thinking about how those reasons may differ for introverts as opposed to extroverts is a lot of times that's what comes into play and that's what we're talking about here. So I really appreciate opportunities to network and then even also to speak, to be on different panels, but it's not to say that it doesn't take a different amount of energy for different people. Yeah, it's definitely trying to spread your energy in a way that helps everyone else. Correct. So what is your favorite social media platform and why? I would say it's a toss up between LinkedIn and Instagram only because I'm more familiar with Instagram and I'm just now starting to know what it means to have a resume, like a living resume on Instagram. 
I would primarily use it for personal and a lot of other social events. But it wasn't until I remember sharing, I want to say I shared a post about what I did for my job as a forest technician. And it was just like a video of me walking through the woods. And so many of my followers, come, followers commented back to say, I didn't know that's what you do. Like you're just in the woods, you just work there. And I was like, yes, this is, this is what I do. And this is where it takes place. And I would say that gave me a lot of motivation to make sure I started sharing more of what I do. So Instagram in that way is, is a lot easier for me to navigate. But LinkedIn, I'm becoming more familiar with. I, again, as I said, I started my LinkedIn profile in January of this year. And thanks to that profile, this is even affording me this interview that I'm having today. I would, I would not have been able to connect with you if I had not connected with you on LinkedIn. So just thinking about what it means to market yourself on different platforms and also in different ways. Because a lot of the stuff I made sure on Instagram will not be posted on LinkedIn and vice versa. What you're saying is that each platform is unique and in the way that you use them, it's completely up to you as to how you use them. But if you use them in a way that's going to definitely either spread your voice or help other people and give other people a perspective, then you can definitely take away something for yourself that's valuable and provide value as you do with your videos in the woods to other people. And historically, we haven't known how much of an impact basic forestry things would do. And they've definitely been helping other people understand that nature and being outside is good for you. And so it's really awesome that you found um, different unique ways of using social media to be the voice. You also have to consider the audience you're trying to connect with. If I want to reach a lot of my family and friends back home in Connecticut, then I'm going to use Instagram. Not a lot of my friends have a LinkedIn profile. So that already changes the nature of the content that I'm sharing. If I want to connect with professionals that I met at a conference, I'm going to post that on LinkedIn because I don't know what their Instagram profile is or if they have one. Think about how different platforms also change the type of content and then the nature of that content. Definitely. I really am excited about your insights on the different types of platforms and the way that you've been using them. And in the future, it could change and that's okay. We're going to evolve with the way that social media platforms are going and use them as we need for what we need and where we think our voice is heard. Correct. Awesome. Who are your role models right now? Who do you look up to, um, whether it be in forestry or in, in life in general? I'd say my first role model would be Melanie Mobley. She was the first African-American female forester with the U.S. Forest Service. And I remember stumbling upon her profile online, and it was so empowering to me, especially growing up and being the only African-American female forester in so many of my classes every day at work. You just have no idea what kind of toll that takes on your ideas about your capabilities in a profession where you don't see people that look like you. So I remember finding her profile, and I was so excited. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know all the things I could about her career. And through LinkedIn, I was actually able to muster up the confidence and the courage to connect with her and then to send her a message. And I remember asking myself, what are you doing? Is it this easy to connect with someone you've never met before, but yet who's made such an impact on your life? The answer is yes. It actually is that easy. I ended up contacting her and I told her, hey, this is, this is who I am. I'm a black female in forestry. This is how much stumbling upon your profile meant to me. And she instantly wanted to meet up. We set up a Skype 
a Skype call, and now she's also one of my mentors. So just thinking about not only having a mentor, but then being able to contact them through LinkedIn, like that meant everything to me. That is everything because we are able to, we call it DM, which is direct message, or PM, which is personal message. <laughs> but through those avenues on all the social media platforms, we are now able to actively message or send mail in the non-snail mail way. We can send instant messages to people and ask them or tell them what we do and whether they respond or or not. I don't know about you, but I, I usually send a message, personal message, like you said, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm interested in, in what you're and what you're up to and what you're doing. I love the way that your post looks or I love the way that so you say something about their Instagram feed if it's on Instagram. But that right there, doing that without expectation, I think is key because you're able to reach people that you never would have been able to reach 30 years ago. It definitely increases your access because while I was able to find so much information about her career and everything she's done, I couldn't find her email address. It's not like I could find her cell phone number. So LinkedIn gives you access in other ways that you would not have had. That would not have. Definitely. And that's the way to go. And that's, if you guys, I'm just telling you as my audience, if you guys aren't doing that right now, go do it. Go message whoever you look up to right now. It is worth it. What is your most valuable tip to tell our listeners while they're listening to your podcast episode today? My most valuable tip would be don't be afraid to be a pioneer and it's okay to be a change maker. A lot of times when you think of going into spaces where you may not feel welcome or you may not see people who look like you, who think like you, that doesn't mean you don't belong. That just means you're more unique than you possibly realize. And I would say that's a lot of times that's been my experience, especially being an African-American female in forestry. I had no idea what forestry was about. And I didn't know all of the skills that I was bringing to this field. And I couldn't let my fears and I couldn't let my lack of mentors stop me from being the person that I am today in forestry. So I'd say my, my main tip would be basically don't let fear be your motivator. Make sure that you're focused on how unique you are. Make sure you're focused on the skills that you bring to this field that only you can bring. If you feel that way, don't ever let it go. You, you have to pave that path and be that pioneer that Jasmine's talking about. Because that way, you will make a difference. It may take 10 years. It may take five years. It may take a few months. We don't know. But if in your truth, you know that that's what you want to do and who you are, when people challenge it, let it go. Don't worry about it. Don't hold that fear or that anxiety let it go. Find an outlet. Find a hobby. Find a new hobby. Find a way to walk in the woods and release whatever the naysayers are telling you. I remember early on my, in my career, I was afraid to be a pioneer. I didn't want to be a trailblazer. I more so wanted to follow after someone else. And that was a tough idea to hold on to, not knowing who I was following after. It wasn't as though someone in my family had been in forestry. It wasn't as though I had a close friend who was also in forestry. It was just me. So now with me being where I'm at in my career, when I run into other young foresters, it makes me think about encouraging them 
to do whatever they're passionate about. And especially when I run into foresters of color and other natural resource professionals, it makes me want to encourage them to also, it's okay to accept that if you're the only or the first in the space that you exist in. And that is okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Take it from Jasmine and I. It is okay to release your fear and do what you do best, even if you're the only one doing it. What motivates you to get out of bed? The fact that I'm not a morning person, I'm going to say I'm getting out of bed probably somewhere, you know, it's 10 and 11 o'clock. That sounds about right. But if I was to think about what motivates me to get out of bed, it's each day working towards change. Each day making sure that I'm enacting change, whether it be in the way that I think, in the way that I exist in different spaces, or in the way that I interact with people. Just a lot of times thinking about that daily motivation and daily progress is what motivates me. So is daily progress a lot for you, or do you try to take it in day by day and piece by piece? Because in the pursuit of talking forests, there, there has been a time where I just want to do all the things, even in one day. Does that work out for you? Because I know it doesn't work out for me. No, it doesn't work over here either. I have to take things in little pieces because when you bite off the entire pie, you don't really know how to digest it. You don't know where to start. So if I take off little pieces, if I create small task lists, I know I can tackle those small things. And that's a lot easier to accept and deal with. Yeah. And that's a lesson that I've learned, and it definitely helps when you write a list but only do a few things and and then tackle the next thing the next day. I also, this is a tip to our listeners, if you write a list at the end of the day of what you want to do tomorrow, that can help out a lot too. I've never thought of that, so thank you for sharing that with us also. So what extra activities are your favorite, I would say, outside of school? and hopefully outside of forestry so we can get to know you a little better. If I had to think of anything, I'd probably start with journaling. I'd ultimately say I reflect a lot, and sometimes that reminds me of how much of an introvert I am, because if I don't make time to reflect, I feel so off balance. I feel like I need to digest everything that I just experienced in my life, and I also would like to record it and come back to it later on, later on at another time. But the first thing would be journaling, and then the second thing I would say is learning. I had no idea just how much passion I actually had to be a learner, and coming back to grad school helped me see what it means to be a lifelong learner. I didn't know that I would always enjoy learning new things and having an open state of mind, and always staying humble and remaining in a sense of gratitude reminds me to say, you know what, I don't know everything. It's okay to admit that you don't know everything, no matter what the title of your position may be or the initials after your name. You having a PhD doesn't mean that you know everything. So with me going towards getting my master's now, that's what that's something I always try to keep in mind. No matter who I'm talking to, is encourage them, encouraging them to also be excited to learn. But I don't know everything. I think that that's the definitional definition of being humble. It, it's just kind of this balance of being able to ingest the knowledge at a pace that's right for you and to be able to learn, to be able to teach other people. Um, I think that's been an experience that definitely can help others and to continually be learning in a humble way. I mean, that just means you're, you're just passionate about learning. Thank you. I would say I am. 
that's something I was always encouraged to do is to chase after whatever you're passionate about. Do the things that you love. Do the things you feel at peace with. And that's something I've always had to encourage myself, especially thinking about how nervous and fearful I was of going into forestry and not having any prior experience for the profession. I had to realize, you know what? I have to accept this for what it is. Mm -hmm. But I also have to be okay with not knowing. You're going to network and with LinkedIn that, that we've been talking about, you're going to meet all these professionals and then you'll have personal friends that not necessarily going to fall out, but they don't see you the same or it's harder to get along with them because you have this worldly knowledge or you've done something that's way out of their scope that they may not think they can do. Keeping an open mind and being able to talk to people humbly is what keeps those friends and what helps you go back home and be the hometown hero. That's something I always have to keep in mind is not to come off as condescending when you are sharing some of your experiences and interacting with others. Yes, I think that's part of the social interaction when you go back to a place that may be staying the same or the other word for it is status quo. And yeah, definitely it's, it's a challenge. So I think that you're going to experience that earlier than most people. So um, just wanted to let you know, do you have anything else that you would like to add to this episode today while you're on? Hmm. If I had to think of anything, I would say being okay with the unknown. With me being as good as I am, a lot of times I would like to, I already like to have things mapped out. I already want to know how things are going to work. And I already want to know what my ultimate goal is. And sometimes thinking about how it's okay not to know is a lot of times that I've had to accept for myself. I've had to just go with the journey and go wherever it takes you. I had no idea I would be a graduate student in my forestry career. I knew I just wanted to work outside. I just wanted to work with trees. I didn't want to talk to people, by the way, either, because I wasn't a people person. I just wanted to be in the woods. And it wasn't until I started learning more and reading more that I was like, okay, well, that's actually a superficial expectation. I can't expect to be a forest technician and not interact with the person that's on the trail. I can't expect not to interact with the person walking their dog in the woods because I'm in their backyard. It's thinking about all the other things that overlap with your position that you may not even realize and how those overlapping and interactions will shape and change you as a person and your career. That is a great way to end because you're definitely helping other people understand that you can choose something and be on this path, but you can also open your mind to talking to all the different types of people that you meet, whether you want to work with trees or not. Correct. So, yeah, it's really important. And I'm really excited that you're bringing, you're bringing social change and you're involved in programs that can give you that platform because sometimes if you're a pioneer in an effort and you don't have people that can help you mentor you or even anyone to talk to about what you're doing, it can get pretty hard on your end and you can start spinning your wheels and like trying to make change and it doesn't actually happen because you don't have a platform to do so. But I think it's really important that you've already been involved and, and you're on this platform and especially being the diversity scholar of Society of American Foresters, you have the voice for so many people right now. And I'm going to watch your journey this year and do everything I can to promote what you've been doing, who you are, 
what you want to do, your change. And whenever I see something on LinkedIn, um, I need to get to know you on Instagram and we can definitely help each other and help other people at the same time. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your mentorship and I truly enjoyed this interview. Thank you, Jasmine. I hope you have a great rest of your day and go beefs. <laughs> go beefs.